Welcome, everyone, to the Runaways Rundown podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hey, currently training on Dagobah. Leave a message. The Runaways Rundown podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 105, Kingdom, is brought to you by Nana B Band-Aids. Just don't use them to patch up old wounds between homies. Well done, Pete. Welcome, everyone. So glad to be here. All Marvel all the time lately with uh, Star Trek Discovery on pause, with us doing Punisher and Runaways and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Pete, things are good. If only we had a Space War movie uh, <laughs> up ahead, then we would complete the, the, the four square hat trick. Matt, the Japanese uh, premiere is tonight. Um, we're talking uh, the 6th over there in uh, Japan already of December. Uh, I will be seeing it a little bit earlier. You and I will be heading to it a week from Thursday. And we'll be bringing you our thoughts on uh, Friday, December 15th, the day it debuts in most areas. Well, Pete, I will say Ohio Gazimus to you, and uh, let's jump on in to our rundown for this episode. 18 years ago, Jeffrey is doing time. He runs into Darius on his way to see his then lawyer, Catherine. Instead of Catherine, however, Jeffrey meets a mysterious businessman played by Julian McMahon, who offers him $5 million for a piece of of seemingly worthless property his uncle left him in Compton. Jeffrey proposes he partner with the mysterious businessman, only he may be behind bars for some time. Catherine suggests there's a way Jeffrey could be free within a month. Later, Jeffrey asks Darius to take the rap for killing Osiris. In turn, Jeffrey will provide for Nana B, Tamar, and her children. In the present day, it is revealed that Darius is the one who abducted Alex and is about to tell him just how bad his father really is. Nico calls Alex's phone, but it goes straight to voicemail. Carolina wonders if it was her church that abducted him. When Molly and Gert arrive, they have no way of knowing where Alex is, but Nico produces the staff of one, which allows them to track the car that took him. If it's not the church, Nico thinks it could be the cops who their parents are paying off. Gert discloses Chase is incommunicado as well. In Victor's lab, Chase is showing an aptitude not apparent via his school grades. Victor confesses he's been hard on Chase, but working with him has helped him reprioritize. Victor could never get his first invention right, and maybe they can perfect it together. At Nana B's, Darius asks Alex for his phone, which he hands him instead of the handgun in his backpack. Darius explains his history with Jeffrey, who only repaid him for taking the fall in turf, but it's not as lucrative as it once was. Alex says he's nothing like his father and that he's sorry for what he's done. Darius calls Jeffrey and reveals he has Alex, but the 50K quoted earlier was the family discount, and they ain't family no mo. The new price is $1 million in cash, and they set a meeting at the park that Jeffrey doesn't tell 
Catherine about. He does, however, demand three guys in an unmarked car from Detective Flores. As the girls give chase, Chase gets a chance to check his messages and calls Gert, who fills him in. Andre explains to Alex how he cloned his father's phone, illustrating the technical savvy isn't limited to affluent neighborhoods. Shots ring out, and in the firefight, Andre draws down on Jeffrey, whom Alex saves with a shot to the chest. As Jeffrey checks on Andre, Darius gets the drop on Alex as the girls roll up and continue to follow them. Nico gets out and is unable to get the staff to turn off Darius' SUV before Molly runs out and uses her strength to keep it from leaving. Carolina removes her bracelet and blasts Darius and his boys with energy before Chase arrives and hits Darius with a blast from his fistagons. Nico erects a force field, stopping a hail of Darius' gunfire before he gets away, and Molly goes to nap on the car. Jeffrey helps Andre and wants to take him somewhere off the grid to get patched up, but Alex senses a lie. He sends him home on a bus before calling Catherine to get pride together for a sacrifice. Leslie remains by the bedside of the mystery man whom she informs they're trying to find a sacrifice for. At Timely Coffee, the group congratulates each other on their powers before Alex arrives and tells them about Andre. After they wake her up, Molly spills the beans about the dinosaur that follows Gert's commands. Elsewhere, Pride prepares for the sacrifice. As Janet Stein helps Robert Minoru with the box, their hands briefly touch. Tina, however, has not brought the staff. Leslie is happy to have a sacrifice, but inquires about his gunshot wound. The kids can't use the coasters anymore to get into the library, so Molly decides to use her muscle. Stacy tends to Andre's wounds as Dale makes him drink medicine. As the kids hustle to the ceremony, only to find nothing. Alex takes it hardest and confesses to Nico that it was he who shot Andre. Chase finds a hidden camera in the library, which, Alex discovers, was not on but the footage was being sent to the hacker-resistant wizard computers lab. Like Carolina before, Chase wonders if there's not a good reason for their parents' actions. In Leslie's private meditation suite, Jeffrey loads Andre into the box and his energy transfers to the other. Leslie announces it has worked and tells the others to leave. Alex searches the web for info about Andre when his father comes home. Jeffrey tells him he doesn't need to worry about Andre anymore. Alex tells his father he knows he's not a good person. Catherine overhears their conversation and demands Darius be dealt with. A frustrated Carolina rages against the false nature of her family and faith. Gert and Molly go to see the dinosaur. Nico tries to put the staff back, but Tina catches her and tells her it's okay. Nico thought it was just passed down from her mother, but Tina tells her she never gave her anything. But that's not how she wants it to be with them. Nico is the only other person the staff will work for other than Tina, and she tells her to take the staff for the night. Chase puts the fistigons back before his father notices. 
Victor then shows Chase his passion project, Time Machine. But he can't send anybody anywhere, only tune in to visual messages from the future. When Victor asks it to show them Los Angeles future, it doesn't work, and he throws it before the ringing in his ears returns. He confesses to Chase he thought the advanced nanotherm therapy was working on his brain cancer, which he hasn't told Janet about. As they embrace, the time machine tunes into the L.A. skyline, crumbling. In the desert, Frank Dean is told he did not pass his sweat lodge test to become ultra, but claims to have felt something. Meanwhile, Leslie meets the recovered businessman from the beginning of the episode who feels fantastic, <gasps> like he always does. He admits this was a close one, but with the gala in a few days, he wants to meet her. Pete, another exciting action-packed episode with some interesting twists, particularly when we get to uh, reassessing exactly how villainous we should feel towards the parents. And Pete, that's where I would like to start. You cited a particular line out of Tina that I would like to, I'd like to zoom in on a little bit. Um, Tina's line, I believe was something like, uh, in speaking to Nico, um, you're the only other person who this, uh, staff has worked for other than me. She says after a pause, here's my, my villainous question here. Has Amy at some point been in touch with the staff and, uh, and is there villainy there with mom? In terms of her taking out Amy? Or maybe in terms of mom, in terms of Tina being aware that the staff worked for Amy at some point in the past. That's, believe it or not, that's something I had not considered. I didn't even have Tina on my list of villains for this episode, which is interesting, Matt, given the poll we ran last week uh, asking on uh, Twitter, who's the worst parent on Runaways? And the choices, the four choices that you're allowed on a poll maximum that I gave were Victor Stein, Tina Minoru, Leslie Dean, or Catherine Wilder. Um, with 57 votes, Matt, Tina Minoru, far and away, 54% of the vote led the vote getting, which prompted Brittany Ishibashi, the actress who plays Tina, to tweet at us, Tina, looking at all your comments like hashtag bitch please, hashtag witch please, hashtag Marvel's runaways, hashtag Tina Minoru. And uh, there's a rather interesting photo of her uh, eating what looks like a cookie. So uh, definitely got uh, the attention of that biggest uh, by fans perspective bad guy. And then the actress who plays Catherine Wilder uh, actually liked the uh, the whole chain of messages on Twitter this morning. Uh, Angel Parker. So uh I, I didn't feel the villainy in this episode, Matt. So score one there for, uh, for, uh, Brittany. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I like the possibility. Maybe somebody else took out Amy for fear of somebody, uh, else other than Tina being able to use the staff eventually. 
the way the very able Brittany Ishibashi delivered the line, there seemed to be possibly some hesitation there on Tina's part. It makes me wonder, was it written that way? I certainly would, would not suggest that Miss Ishibashi was uh, was tripping over a line, but maybe it was just, maybe it came out in a way that was a little more nuanced and not, not necessarily written that way. I don't know. I don't know where things are headed. That's part of the fun of this. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that just caught my eye, uh, particularly since she spends much of the episode, I mean, aside from, okay, they happen to kill another person in exchange for the mysterious Julian McMahon character, but certainly the time that Tina spends with Nico at the end of the episode, you really feel some paternal connection there. So I, I don't know if they're, if they were, you know, hiding the, 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 uh, the pea of badness in the mashed potatoes of goodness. I don't know. Well, listen, uh, we've talked before about the morality of these parents and, you know, there is a spectrum. Um, and I tried to put the four I thought were potentially the worst on the poll and then, you know, told anybody, you know, respond, uh, with anybody else you, you think might belong on there. Of course, none of the Yorkses, uh, got any response at all, um, and uh, Tina was such a runaway. But Matt, uh, in this episode, I think Jeffrey might have finally taken a step to, if not equal Tina, to surpass her. We know that he's taken a life here, that he killed this Osiris, whoever it was. Then he makes this deal to get out of jail with Darius that he does not honor. He probably does by the end of the episode have the uh have the worst reputation of the bunch for this episode uh which of course is interesting just because we have uh, as mentioned some of the parents moving uh, in large degree at least in, in in an emotional sense uh away from the villainy um but yeah we get to we get to see much of his past and kind of into it what surely will come in future flashbacks so that's right we're going to get more past in the future um but this this stretch of you know lowly guy in prison now he's going to make a little deal to get out uh and that somehow is going to be parlayed into let's not forget pete a house that when you and your kid get into a fight the kid says you know what dad i hate you so much i'm gonna go sleep in the guest house tonight in the other house that we have the other house that's part of our house but not part of it i'm gonna slam the door of this house and then not slam that other door to show you how much I hate you, rich dad. Also, tell the maid I will be taking my dinner out there. <sighs> and and not to bring it out too loudly because I may be <laughs> I may be in the sauna, dad. I hate you. I'm going to go play on my pinball machine in another house, which is inside a giant pinball machine. <laughs> I mean, it's it, we we laugh and you see the privilege on this show and uh, okay you know I I I really did appreciate the Andre Alex back and forth within this episode and then you know that that Alex comes around to see Andre sympathetically and they try to save him they're unable to do it because of the shell game with you know where are the sacrifices happening this time not the library. Um, but, uh, I mean, if, if Jeffrey's one on this episode, Darius has to be one a, this is a guy who let loose with two clips, Matt on, uh, six teenagers 
thank goodness um, Nico had the staff. Well, you know what, Pete, when you when you put it like that, he might be number one on the bad guy list since he did try and mow down a bunch of <laughs> what are legally still children. So, yeah, I think um, I I appreciate his uh, his attempt at machinations and you know, as you say, the shell game, we're going to, we're going to get this and get that. The fact that it all spins out of control and the solution is to, is to, to let loose there. Uh, I say Peel bad. some caps, Matt would be the street lingo there or, well, or throw some copper. I'm glad that neither the caps hit the kids nor the copper hit, hit the kiddies. Yeah, uh, you know, clearly his his time in the pokey did not help out and the bitterness that he feels towards Jeffrey and then these children he does not know that he's prepared to kill. Um, so, yeah, really drove home uh, Darius and, and Catherine now by the end of the episode saying not if, when. So, hey, Jeffrey, you've got to take care of it. You know, we get that iconic avengers style defender style final team up here of the runaways showing off their powers the the one shot that hulu continues to throw at you with a good reason where they all team up and then they got the action pose who of us would have ever thought it would be against darius the gangbanger on the other side of the camera i agree that it is an unusual choice based on where we've been um you would have thought it'd be against the the uh somewhat super powered parents you know to whatever degree there's technology power or there's magic or whatever it might be um in retrospect it does make some sense i mean here we are here we are halfway through the season so you're not going to have the big showdown with parents um too early bottom line though pete it's nice to see at this halfway point that they they have come to their own in terms of powers and 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 being a team and being able to as a group clearly acknowledge that with one another so no secrets there at least but matt let's talk about secrets because mystery man in the bed with the respirator and mystery businessman have become one played by julian mcmahon which has man in there I'm going to theorize after we talk about him for a little bit, who he might be playing. It's not on IMDb. It's not even listing Matt on his credits. That's not unusual, nor is it uh, unheard of for a series to say, Hey, don't put this guy on here. We're, we don't have a name for him yet on the show. Don't put it up. Don't let anybody else put it up. So that's fine. But, uh, yeah, I just think that, uh, the, the timing, Matt, and when we get to theories in, in just a minute, I might be able to blow everybody's mind. Well, I have a theory for you when we get there, but, uh, on the topic of Julian McMahon, I had completely missed the news on marvel.com itself all the way back on August 15th, Pete, that's right. 815. Longtime listeners can appreciate that. Uh, announcing that he was joining the cast, and uh, Marvel.com said, while his origins and ultimate intentions are unknown, McMahon will be a pivotal pivotal 
player in the Runaways' rebellion against their parents. Pete, they lied to us. There's no way that he's helping the Runaways while being the source of all the, the that teenage angst because parents are the worst. Yeah, and there was no mention of him at the New York Comic Con panel, and they didn't have any of the parents there. I mean, it is the kids' show and everything like that. Um, but, you know, he shows up in the beginning. He wants this property, this strip mall for $5 million is where he's going to open it. And clearly that date 18 years ago is pivotal towards everything that's gone on since, you know, before all the kids were born, before – it seems the the pride was fully put together. Um, you know, we'll we'll, we'll talk uh, what his last line of the episode is, Matt. But are you ready for my theory, Pete? Let me ask you this: Is your theory that he is from the uh, the firm of McNamara and Troy, that plastic surgery center focused on nip tuck, and this brings together at long last? What all fans have wanted, which is to bring the Nip Tuck verse into the MCU. Well, my mom would never let me watch that show, so I can't comment on all of that. But let's consider this for a second, okay? Here, Julian McMahon, who played Victor Von Doom in the two abysmal uh Fantastic Four movies. You mean delightfully silly and <laughs> somewhat corny, but tongue-in-cheek fun having. Go on. Okay. Not as bad as the other one. Let's put it that way. Okay. Yes. yes. Uh, shows up in a Marvel cinematic uh, TV show. Okay. Uh, Matt, as he, he says, he feels fantastic <gasps> now that he's been restored. No. And hang no, on, Pete, don't, don't, sit don't down. say You're it ain't so down. Pete. I'm sitting. Okay. And all of this occurring, Matt, this episode, uh, now available via streaming a week before the now pretty much acknowledged and accepted end of negotiations between Disney and 20th century Fox that could bring Fantastic Four back to Marvel Studios. Is he playing Victor Von Doom now? Don't wait for the translation. Answer the question. Well, my theory ties into that as well. First of all, to bring listeners up to speed who don't know, um, I, I wouldn't quite say that it is acknowledged as a done deal, but it certainly seems like... Closer than it is not. That is very true, and it seems like seems like Fox is really interested to sell specifically for Disney because the sale could go through easier because there won't be kind of antitrust concerns or there'll be less regulatory, whatever. I don't know, Pete. We talk about fiction, not about business. The Hollywood Business Podcast by Fantastic Geek coming at you. Never. Um, so, yeah, similar to that, I had wondered... You know, do, do they retcon the kids as mutants in season two if this goes through? <laughs> um, look, you have to figure, and again, this is where I feel like I am a little hobbled by the fact that I have not read the comics as deep as I as I would like. But also, you know, I get I get to be hash, hashtag spoiler free, Pete, so that counts for a lot. Um, if this is an established character with an established arc then probably not. Probably not Victor Von Doom. You figure the entire season, of course, is in the can at this point. Flip side, if they just kind of kept it vague and said, oh, well, you know, at, at worst, we'll figure it out for season two. 
which writing rooms do sometimes, and that's okay to not have the plan sent down from above. Um, maybe you pivot and go, hey, we never named him in season one. We already have five scripts written in season two where he's, you know, Slappy McJoe. Uh, what if we start calling him Victor? You know, it would be it would be beyond amazing and beyond incredible. Um, it would be, Pete, fantastic. <laughs> what does he want with this property? Is this the same property that they are now building the school on? I think this is absolutely the same property. Um, and and I think that we aren't meant to have enough uh, evidence and, and not enough by a lot in order to really get a read on what it could be to me. So he's interested in it 18 years ago. Now, uh, the pride by way of the various foundations that, you know, that, that represent the parents, uh, are close to finishing this school. Um, the only other connection to it that I can think of is whatever's going on with, uh, with old man McMahon's, um, aging thing that's going on so i wonder if there's some sort of source of of you know whether it's magic or energy or space rock or whatever it might be molly continues to fall asleep after exertion of her powers is she in some way spliced together with cat dna wow that just blew my mind there uh, I think if anything, it is a, it's a function of the, the writing. And I am 99% sure that she fell asleep in the comics as well. But I think that we're back to Superman's kryptonite here. If she is the most kind of overtly powered, if you will, you know, you don't know what spells Nico can give, or does she say, you know, does she say one thing and the, 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 the staff interprets it another way. She can um, make whatever spells the writer's room comes up with, Matt, or well, that they determine that the staff's not working right now and she can't. True, but I guess my point is we don't have a set, you know, like Nico hasn't graduated wizarding school with an advanced proficient, therefore she can do just about anything. She right. still is at the early end of this process. Uh, the Fistagons can, can still be, you know, they, they can fritz out anytime they want, not just because the writers say so, but because they're still in prototype phase. But when, you know, when it comes to, when it comes to Molly, strong is strong is strong. And if they need her to knock down a door, then rip open a car, then tunnel underneath the bank, there's nothing stopping that unless you build that kryptonite in of after an exertion, she's so low in energy. She, she passes out. We have the, uh, camera that's uh supposedly aimed to be able to watch these ceremonies and there have been uploads to the wizard computers uh facility matt if you were gonna make runaway children disappear into a box and then never re-emerge you'd tape it right look i i agree with your sentiment 100 percent, but i think there's a certain mentality with you know we we see it in the news in, in, in a slightly more serious arena but these people who think they're getting away with it and these people who feel that they are at the top and they can do whatever the whatever the the crossing of a line that there is so you know given that we're living in a real world with 
secret buttons that close and lock office doors and and things of that sort and and how about and, the airbnb uh scandal the past couple days people are flying security cameras all over airbnbs yeah and i think when you when you're exerting that much power then you get you know you get complacent and i think that might be what's going on here did they vhs record the first uh you know vhs camcorder record the first death was it 16 years ago whatever you know <laughs> i believe it was uh dvd <laughs> and then messenger it on over okay maybe not but at a certain point you sit and go all right we've done this for five straight years whatever if we need to get that live feed or if we need to get a tape or regardless of where the, the current technology is where's the 4k record... uh transfer that's right get some of those get some of those sony red cameras um I think at a certain point you just say, nobody's catching us. We can do whatever we want, which, you know, if that's not folly in this world and the MCU, I don't know what is. That um, Nico's grandmother, Tina's mother, comes up at the end of this episode in a loaded reference there that she never gave uh, Tina anything. And she wants that different for the two of them. What did you make of that? I think it shows a space between mothers and daughters. And I think that that's something is that's, that's um, all our parents probably reached that point where they realized that they had become not just the parent that they, you know, consciously were and brought a child into the world, but all of a sudden you were, you know, all our parents I'm sure realized with us that moment where you go, where, you know, where, where they said, Oh my goodness, I've become that parent. I've become the parent that's, won't let you stay up past nine o'clock to watch the fireworks. Or I'm the parent that said, uh, you know, no, I think you're going to be drinking with those bad kids. Oh, I was drinking at your age or whatever it is. You've kind of crossed that parent line and now you're starting to go full circle. I think that that's meant to be evocative here that just as, just as Tina butted heads with her mother and, and we can infer felt an emotional distance. Here she is again with an emotional distance that she hadn't noticed has been there for all these years. Victor uh, here with brain cancer, his glioblastoma, has this been caused by time travel or exposure to that technology or any of his other technology, like many brain tumors are believed? I, I would be, I would be just fine if the answer is no. Everything does not need to connect to everything. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Some things can just happen. <laughs> wow. Life happens. Brain cancer at any age is tragic. Brain cancer in this fictional character, who obviously will feel less sympathy for than the real person, but suspending that, brain cancer in this man who is who is at the, the height of his uh, contribution to humanity. I mean, think about that, Pete. We all try and make our dent in the universe. Here he is wildly contributing and improving to uh to society aside from the pride things are you um, saying that victor might get a new brain steve Jobs style <laughs> uh that, that's not a theory i've heard before pete but i i think that um i think that insofar as victor is a steve jobs elon musk thomas edison type um i don't need him to have caused the frankenstein no pun intended him to have caused the frankenstein that took out himself it could just be 
life happened. Sometimes life is awful. And sometimes brilliant people in their 50s who are making a real impact on the world are taken too soon. Los Angeles of the future, earthquake or infinity war? This is what happens when you let yourself be exposed to spoilers. All right. This is what happens. We now have been spoiled about the future and it's bad, bad spoilers, everyone. <laughs> um, I do like your idea that these series are planning in some way for the Infinity War, despite the fact that, you know, we're, we presumably are never going to get the degree of closeness that we got with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Captain America, the Winter Soldier, where you watched an episode on a Wednesday, then you went to the movies on a Friday, and then the story continued the next Wednesday in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, that said, Infinity War is so big, can't we just get Jeff Loeb and Kevin Feige or one of Kevin, Feige un uh, Kevin Feige's underlings, can't we get them in a room just to say, okay, Earth, go explode, get solved in another movie or whatever it is. Um, that would be appreciated. That would really remind us, Pete, that as Jeff Loeb said, hashtag it's all connected. Uh, or, Matt, is this just impending uh, what Victor Von Doom is going to do to <laughs> Los Angeles? I think it's probably more likely that we are going to see some sort of runaways generated or runaways story generated apocalypse that that will befall Los Angeles if not for the uh the efforts of blah 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 in the next five episodes to me that's probably more likely I think it's more I think there's a better corporate and creative answer to um to using you know to the infinity war and to the two ends of marvel there's a better answer than we have to address it all across all our properties. This is not TGIF circa 1993 and Urkel <laughs> fires his rocket belt uh, in, in Chicago and then lands at the 830 show, like, you know, or, or perhaps a bit better. It's not the blackout uh, three out of four must see TV comedies on NBC. Seinfeld refused to participate. So the lights went back on for a half hour. Um, I don't know that you need that. You can have a compelling 10-episode run of Runaways and a compelling run of all these shows that are either going to be before or after the Infinity War and just let that be its thing. So you're saying it's the dinosaur that's responsible for the buildings toppling? Maybe, Pete, it gets so big that, that here's at long last what we wanted. In fact, I'm trying to think which studio is Pacific Rim. Maybe we get the Pacific Rim... Uh, Godzilla slash uh, MCU with old lace attacking verse. Or Matt, is this site that uh, possible Victor Von Doom mystery businessman wants a fault line of some sort? That's probably that's probably best of all, but. Why build the school over it then? Unless the school is a front for stuff. Pete, here's what I feel like. I feel like we've been given a certain sense of pace and style and writer room flavor for these five episodes. And I feel like we're in a manageable arc, which is to say, if it's a fault line and the school is actually a front for the secret science lab and the this and that, the other, I feel like you need more episodes per season to deal with that. Or you need a guarantee of... This is going to be a, you know, we've bought four seasons so we can really do a big arc. 
Um, but time will tell. I mean, I guess Westworld is the same 10 hours of programming and they did plenty of world rebuilding and world rebuilding as does many a show. So time will tell. Will the crumbling skyline be resolved this season? I think it would behoove the show for it to absolutely revolve, resolve it this season. I feel like there's just something with the teen aesthetic and the effervescence with which they live life that it, it it's asking a bit much, not of the audience. I'm not saying this is a teen show and teens are dumb. I just feel like this show makes the entire audience an audience of teens. And I feel like teen me doesn't have the, the um, attention to have a long arcing thing versus wrap it up and let's have a new adventure next season. Well, speaking of adventures, Matt, this entire adventure would not be happening right now if it weren't for the people who go to patreon.com slash fantastic geek. We, Pete, are hashtag podcast blessed. That's what our phones say. Uh, that we do have our listeners supporting us. Indeed, it's not just a hokey thing. Pete, if we were magically transported to Los Angeles and the MCU, we'd be on Los Angeles Public Radio, listeners supported. Now, a half hour on quinoa. Um, but indeed, we are, we, <laughs> we, we are lucky to be supported by listeners. And if you have not checked us out on patreon.com slash fantasticgeek, we can't promise you quinoa recipes, but uh, we would appreciate if you take a look. Pete, before we give contact info, let's share some show feedback we heard from some people in the last week or so. We heard from our pal, Mary Kirk, who uh, ahead of last week's episode said, E, forgot that Runaways drops on Tuesdays, watching episode four now at Fantastic Geek. So we sure are glad that, uh, we're, we're glad to be that reminder there. We also heard from uh, at Eddie Schmitz, that's Orange Chevelle on Twitter, who said, Runaways is no in humans, but I'm not enjoying this series as much as Iron Fist. And uh, I dare say we were a tad confused by that. And uh, Orange Chevelle, a.k.a. at Eddie Schmitz said, I guess a 52-year-old male from rural Oklahoma <laughs> is having trouble relating to teenagers in L.A. Your thoughts, Pete? Um... Yeah, I mean it's a it's a hard group to necessarily see uh, eye to eye with, but uh, I I think we can agree that uh, it's not the easiest sell necessarily to see eye to eye with uh, a, a young man returning to uh, New York City to billions, Matt, more more affluent than all of our runaways put together uh and their families so um i mean the 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 through line seems to be wealth i find myself week after week getting ready to watch the latest episode and in the first couple minutes it's like oh it's the mumbo jumbo of the kids and the parents and the there's kind of some powers but they're not really crazy powers and then i get sucked into their teenage existence and to me this show continues to resonate with me not because i am a teenager but it re resonates with me because it reminds me of what it was like in those four years of high school and in that time where everything is so possible and so tragic and so wonderful and, and that's just you know that's just your first two periods of the day uh before you hit lunch and home ec and and all of that in a normal day to see carolina 
butting heads with her mother over the degree in which faith is going to play a role in her life as a as a modern teen you know i mean that hits home to see you know uh alex fighting with dad you know i mean the fight that we have all had with parents and parent figures the you don't understand me i hate you get out of my room you know i'm not saying i grew up with a ton of those but we've all been there and on and on and on the social uh kind of the social misfit nature of of gert Pete, the the dashing good looks and overwhelming brilliance of Chase, I feel like I'm looking in a mirror, for goodness sake. And on and on it goes where I just feel like, <laughs> I feel like the characters are relatable, then there's superpowers, then there's the above upper middle class nature that they live in, um, and the pool house, and the so on and so forth. <laughs> the murder library. <laughs> the, the murder library, you know. I feel it's all layered on. The, the the trendy uh, coffee place in a, a still expensive zip code. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I mean, to me, at the end of the day, that's just what it's that's just what it's about, and it's 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 been interesting for me for it to cut through, you know, a couple of decades separating my teenage years and this show to still feel like. Yeah, there's the coffee house, and there's the one that drives, and there's the one that doesn't, and there's the one that hangs on with the group who's not really a part of it, but is kind of, sort of, and and even this notion of people, you know, as you get to high school and as you make your way through it and out, the people that you separate from, which is where we where we started the series. To me, there's just a great degree of, de de degree of relatability. Pete, now let's talk people being able to relate with you. If they want to share stories of their high school experience or what it was like <laughs> when they found their uh, mother's own magical staff or fought with their own dad uh, in, in the main house versus the guest house, how can people be in touch with you on the Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R-9682 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast anytime you like, particularly on your YZ-powered phone, which is the preferred mobile operating system in the Marvel Cinematic Universe Los Angeles portion. <laughs> Regardless, visit us on FantasticGeek.com. Send an email to FantasticGeek at gmail.com. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter where we are FantasticGeek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more facebook.com slash fantastic geek with the ph all one word like it today if you are listening to us on the runaways rundown podcast we will be back next tuesday to talk episode 106 pete we're racing through these and it's such a fun show <laughs> if you're listening to us in the pop culture podcast what's next we will be hitting up the uh eighth episode of the punisher matt on thursday December 7th. Exciting stuff indeed. Then, of course, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. the day after that. Uh, and Pete, we uh, we had a little bird tip us off that uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. will be uh, indeed airing its fifth episode on uh, December 22nd. So a bounty before we set in to end of year festivities. And uh, as always, so much fun getting together with all the fantastic listeners. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Bet the trees in your neighborhood grow jobs and scholarships. We almost got whiplash. I took off so fast. The roof was open. The music was.
was high and this girl's hand was steadily moving up my thigh. She had opened up three buttons on her shirt so far. I guess that's why I didn't notice that police car. We're doing 90 in my mom's new Porsche. And to make this long story short, short, when the cop pulled me over, I was scared as hell. I said I don't have a license, but I drive very well, officer. I almost had a heart attack that day. Come to find out the girl was a 12-year-old runaway. I was arrested. The car was impounded. had to come off a vacation to get me i'd rather be in jail than to have my father hit me my parents walked through and i got my grip i said uh mom dad how was your trip they didn't speak i said i want to plead my case but my father just shoved me in the car on my face that was a hard ride home i don't know how i survived it they took turns one would beat me while the other one was driving i can't believe it i